Hello and welcome back to the Attract Your Right Guy online retreat where we crack the attraction code and help you to live your happily ever after. I'm, of course, your host, Antje Boyd, founder and creator of the Magnetize Your Man Method. And today, my heart is so delighted to have Gay and Katie Hendricks here with us today. <laughs> hey, you guys. Hey. <laughs> Good to see you, Antje. I am so excited to dive into this topic because so many women think like, uh, you know, once I get into a relationship, why even bother? It's not going to last. Or there's all the pitfalls that are happening that they're stepping into in the beginning. So that's what we're going to talk about today, ladies. And before we do that, let me just tell you a little bit about Gay and Katie Hendricks in case you live behind the moon. So they've been actually been together for 40 years, have loved, lived and learned together. They've written more than 40 books. One of my favorites is actually The Big Leap. Uh, trained thousands of coaches, appeared on Oprah, hosted seminars around the globe, and broken through the muck of their limiting beliefs and explored the boundless creativity, intimacy, and ease on the other side. And I love that what it says, we're committed to helping others expand their capacity to give and receive love. So welcome, welcome. Oh, happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Always a pleasure to talk about this particular subject. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, I'm sure you guys have so much wisdom. Like, so what would you say are some of the things? I mean, you know, when you started dating, when you met, what were some of the pitfalls that you're like, whoa, if we had have handled that differently, that could have been gone south really quickly? Well, I would say that number one is to start out your relationship by being real rather than trying to be the way you think the other person wants you to be, if you let yourself be real, then you're going to get to know right away whether somebody likes you the way you are, rather than the way that uh, society tells you you're supposed to be. Speaking honestly mm -hmm. and listening honestly to what the other person says is a key thing in relationships. And almost all problems you can stem from somebody not telling the truth about something or somebody not admitting the truth to themselves. Mm -hmm. And so um, we set up some agreements between ourselves and then we did our best to just honor those agreements. One agreement was to always speak open-heartedly to the other person. Like if I was angry, I'd tell her I'm angry. If I'm sad, I say mm -hmm. I'm sad. If I'm scared, I'm scared. You know, to communicate whatever was real because so many people, when they split up, you know, they do these surveys where they ask people after they've split up, what made you leave the relationship? Mm -hmm. And up at the top is he wouldn't ever tell me his feelings mm -hmm. or she wouldn't share what was going on in her mind. Yeah. You know, the, the hiding of mm -hmm. things is a, a crucial problem. And so we did our best to just solve that one by just being open hearted and honest all the time mm -hmm. with each other. And it works like magic, really. It seems simple, but it works like <laughs> magic. And, and uh, I think another key, one of the one of the pitfalls, and we certainly fell into that, was um, instead of saying I feel angry, uh, to say you made me angry. So a not taking of responsibility for your own feelings and thinking that the other person is responsible for your feelings or your experience. And so we we look at that as in the general area of blame and criticism. And mm -hmm. we decided to end blame and criticism. Yeah, because if you say, you made me angry, you're locating the source of the anger over there. Mm -hmm. And 
you're in a sense stepping into the victim position and blaming the other person. And the only way relationships can really work is if both people take responsibility mm-hmm. and step out of that blame game. Because uh, another thing, when people leave relationships, another thing they often say is, I just couldn't stand the criticism anymore. Mm-hmm. Nothing I could do was right. And that's a very painful position. And in my pre-Katie days, I landed myself in a couple of relationships like that. I guess I was so addicted Mm -hmm. to being uh, blamed that I just drew several blaming people into my life. But, you know, we eliminated that problem. And we always like to say, we haven't had a crossword between us this century. (laughs) Oh, wow. No blame and criticism. And what what replaces that in a really successful relationship is giving full attention to your partner and to yourself and cultivating appreciation rather than seeing your partner as your own personal fixer upper. You know, because a lot of people, I remember hearing that from, for example, my aunt, she would say, well, I already, you know, I got my man. And so now I just have to kind of fix him up. I have to fix him up. He's a little rough around the edges, but a lot of us think that our relationships are a ticket to improving our partner and that really is a pitfall and we really we experiment in our own relationship with really giving love and appreciation instead of um, if you would just do this differently, I'd give you a little bit more attention. That's another thing that's a big item in relationships in the early days too, is people tend to forget to appreciate the other person. And um, another thing, when people leave relationships, I say, I felt taken for granted. Mm -hmm. And One of the things that can really make any relationship better, whether it's in the bedroom or the boardroom or the living room or work or wherever, is to bring in more appreciation, Mm -hmm. you know, to really compliment the other person and uh, single out things that they've done Mm -hmm. that makes you feel good or works in the environment. And it's it's really a different way of looking at life. Mm -hmm. It's more natural because... Like if you ha- if you're a farmer, you don't go out into the garden and say, "Okay, give me some vegetables, and then maybe I'll water you and put some fertilizer on you." Mm-hmm. You know what? The farmer goes out and plants and tends and fertilizes, and then gets the fruit of that. And in relationships, we have mm-hmm. to think of it as a garden. Mm-hmm. You know this. This is a magnificent garden that I've been given the blessing of being with for 40 years and I'm going to do everything Mm. I can to tend it and make it better and invite it forth. Mm. And so that's the way I think works best in relationships. If we have that view toward the other person and toward ourselves so that um, I, if I'm richly appreciating myself and focusing on my creativity, then I'm not going to be trying to get my, own needs met by the other person. And what we really became clear on is that each person is a whole person. You know, so much in relationships, someone will say, how's your other half? Or how's your better half? Mm -hmm. And so 
know, you think of, of, of people who used to have those uh, bag races where you both have one leg in a bag and trying to yeah. work your way down a field. So a lot of people think that that's what a relationship is, that you sort of lean on each other. And it's so much more uh, evolutionary and so much more fun to really consider you're a whole person and I'm a whole person and I'm responsible for if I want something from you making a request rather than thinking you can read my mind and those kinds of things that we tend to blend people rather than thinking, oh, there's this person and this person and then their relationship, what they're creating together. And all of that is such a, a playground rather than uh, uh, the, the working on. We hear a lot and I, I just saw it on social media the other day that long-term relationships work because people compromise and they overlook things. Yeah. And I went, uh, uh, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> if you really want a relationship to thrive, you have to be fully alive yourself mm. and also support the full aliveness of the other person. You know, the whole idea of this being 100% is a real fallacy because yeah. Each of us are 100%, and then the relationship is between two wow. people who are themselves each 100%. It's not, I'm looking to complete myself in you. Please give me the love <laughs> I can't possibly give myself. Well, I'll do that if you'll make lots of money and let me spend it however I want. <laughs> okay, it's a deal. Uh, so uh, <laughs> believe me, we've seen worse deals made in here. We had a family one time of five. There's mom and dad and three kids. And they used to go out to eat on the weekend to a restaurant, but they could never agree on what restaurant to go to because, you know, one of them would be so upset if the other, so what they, they ended up doing was only going to restaurants where none of them wanted to eat oh, to what? avoid the conflict. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, so our radical treatment <laughs> was to uh, give them a stern lecture and tell them to go to several different restaurants on the same night. Go to the pizza place, then go to the dessert place, then go. This had never occurred to them. And these were two very smart people, the parents. Um, and once they started doing that, it got to be a fun kind of a thing because they you know, go to two or three different, sometimes four different restaurants in the course of the evening. <laughs> Finally, they got tired of that whole scene and decided to flip a coin <laughs> or something that would uh, be doing it by chance. You know, one other thing, Auntie, that I wanted to mention is that letting people know what kind of attention you like. The re we really say that attention is the currency of relationship mm -hmm. and that people forget that attention is a nutrient. It's the main nutrient that human needs. Uh, humans need as much as food and water. And so if um, I've seen so many relationships um, dwindle because the quality of attention that's given is just so um, stingy. Or it doesn't really focus on giving full attention and noticing and appreciating. So um, a scientist called these call these bids for attention that um, in successful relationships, 
about 88% of the time, a bid for attention is responded to. But in relationships that are not working, it's way down around 28%. So that's a really, really important um, shift that you can make in your relationships. And we decided that our relationship was priority. If Gay wanted my attention, that's what I'm doing. I'm giving attention, you know, if it's if at all convenient to do that. And in the last few years where we've been more at home, we've really gotten into the art of giving each other attention and different ways to give attention. Yeah. And I think that's like so important. I do a lot of like attachment work. And of course, like, you know, especially with the anxious attachment style, most women who are going to watch this are going to be more the anxious scale. They have not gotten the attention, right? So either they have this distorted experience when they receive attention, it's almost like they can't metabolize it, right? They're like, oh, too much, too needy, or they attract the avoidant who just, you know, it's just enough, right? But actually leaves them craving attention. Can you speak a little bit to that? Oh, yes, that, excuse me, a little phlegmy today. Um, Opening up to receiving, I think, is especially an issue for women because we've been trained to be the givers, the caregivers, the noticing what everybody else needs, the, you know, eating last after everybody else has gotten what they wanted. And, you know, sort of down the list, women tend to put themselves last. And I can remember, you know, way back in Colorado when we were at a we were at a party and you were trying to compliment the the woman there on the she had made this incredible apple pie. Mm-hmm. And I remember you tried to appreciate her three or four <laughs> times and she would say things like, Oh, I didn't get the kind of apples that I really wanted. And you know, the flower is a little so she deflected. Mm-hmm. And oh. the actual receiving of the appreciation. And so I would say one of the biggest things that women can do is to get open to receiving uh, so that, you know, because a lot of things, too, if if uh, your partner is trying to give you an appreciation and you keep deflecting it, it's not very encouraging for continuing to receive appreciations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My grandmother was the grandmaster of that. If you tried to give her any kind of compliment, and she was the most wonderful cook. I mean, the, her food was fabulous. But you try to say, boy, the fried chicken was great today. Or uh, the she made this special pie. It's kind of like a custard pie. And you try to give her a compliment. Oh, do you think so? You know, I, I didn't. Yeah, I should have used it. another egg. Or, uh, you know, and she'd always, you know. <laughs> So our own women's self-criticism is the main thing that gets in the way of receiving appreciation. And so I think women, instead of focusing on their partners, they first need to stop blaming and criticizing themselves and treating themselves as an improvement project and open up to, I'm willing to expand my ability to give and especially receive appreciation and attention. And what, what I really find with the women is that oftentimes they don't feel safe because either when they got attention, it was bad attention, right? So no. maybe women who come from abusive backgrounds, right? Or like asking for the attention, it wasn't met. So they had to encounter their sense of powerlessness, helplessness, yeah. sense of inadequacy. So what is a good step that women can take to start feeling safe to receive? Well, I think that safety 
is is achieved through presence. So if I am actually locating myself, I know what I'm feeling, I'm breathing, I'm supporting my own aliveness. I also know what I want and what I don't want. So safety, uh, even for kids, is achieved by, you know, I'll say, is this something that you like? No, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. And I go, oh, thank you for letting me know that. And if my yeses and nos are honored, that creates a sense of safety. But if I don't know what my yeses and nos are, you know, how is anybody ever going to, you know, assist me in creating the safety that I want? So I think the first step is really owning what we call your whole body yes and your whole body no, of really identifying what's what body sensations do you have when you respond to something with, yes, I really want to do that. What does that feel like to you? And when you really clearly have no, uh, and letting it be okay for you to say no and other people to have the response to you that they do. Because not everybody's going to like it if you say no, especially (laughs) if you've been accommodating and been the caretaker and just the person whom everybody can count on and doesn't need anything. So there'll be some adjustments for (laughs) for the people around you. But it's all it's all in the service of everybody being a whole, a 100 percent. And maybe, Gay, you can speak to it as a man, right? Like, how does a man receive that? Because, of course, the story of the women is, oh, if I see that, then I'm going to rock the boat, or the man thinks I'm too much, or he thinks, you know, I'm not I'm not accommodating enough. Like, how does a man receive that? Well, it has a lot to do with your programming, but I think you have to make a conscious commitment to really seeing and appreciating women. And that was one of my best moves ever was I realized in my 20s after messing up a bunch of relationships that it wasn't my job in a relationship to instruct the woman how to behave. Now, this was it took me several relationships to figure this out. Uh, but finally, it penetrated because, I, you know, I was a university professor. And so, of course, everybody needed to be told exactly how to be. But um, I I remember this one day where I suddenly realized, wait a minute, I've been trying to kind of get them to think the way I think. Why don't I open up and just try to appreciate how they think? Because I wasn't having any luck telling them how to think my way. And so, uh, in fact, I was having negative luck. (laughs) They didn't seem to appreciate that at all. Well, one thing I appreciate about you so much is from the time I've met you and in many, many situations, you are so in support of women being their full geniuses and expressing Mm -hmm. their creativity in the world. And I've seen that in so many ways where, you know, you've co-authored books with women and you've supported Mm -hmm. uh, women in so many ways. And I I find that just very touching. Mm, Thank you. I feel touched too. You know, I, I think I saw so much when I was a kid growing up in the fifties, basically that, um, boy, women had it rough. Yeah. I mean, I remember my having that realization and, um, you know, seeing what they had to go through. And I also lived in a town which was about 50% Black in the South. And so 
then to see how women in a way were part of that whole minority system. That was a big wake up for me, but in a personal sense um, to me, you know, we've had 10,000 years or so of men running the show and it has its advantages, but we got to be careful because it's going to wipe us out if we keep running things that way. So we have to have equity between everybody, but particularly between men and women, since everybody pretty much falls into one of those two categories. (laughs) And so um, we've got to have equality starting there. And equality is a very tricky thing to do because to do that requires actually both people to step out Mm -hmm. of any kind of sense of themselves as victims Mm -hmm. and take responsibility for what they want to create in their life. And that's a very scary, big leap for a lot of people Mm -hmm. because there's so much default pressure to think of yourself as a victim, whether you're a woman or a man, but, but a lot of women are kind of coached into thinking of themselves as victims and men as the perpetrators, which, you know, certainly in many situations they are. But if you keep thinking that way, Mm -hmm. then you can't be in a kind of a full scale, 100 percent ownership of your being. I just thought about an example that I'd love to share with you all, which um, very early in our relationship, we started working together right away and started giving presentations and seminars. And when we first started working together, um, Gay would uh, be gesturing and taking up his space and <laughs> and it, like this. And so I'd be over there kind of duck. And so I remember uh, sort of calling him aside and saying, you know, um, I, could you make some room for me? You know, I have some things to say also. And could you make some, you know, it's like, could you make some space for me? And he said, no. And I went, whoa, whoa. Uh, and so he said, what I want you to step up if you occupy your own space. And I, you know, so I, I got not only I'm not going to treat you as a victim, but here's what it might look like if we were both 100 percent. And so I took that on as a challenge, like, oh, I can just say what I have to say and follow on what you're saying and add something to it or interrupt you or uh, and so that was for me it was such a such an affirmation of what we've been talking about of that both of us can be a hundred percent and then that's the only place that co-creation comes from rather than one up one down one up one down uh this reminds me of the beginning stages so my husband and I started to do our workshops because that was the same situation. <laughs> Katie, like I told my husband, like, babe, can you just like, you know what I mean? Like, I'll do this section and then you do this section. And you know what I mean, and he had a similar response. He's like, I can't track that because I am in a flow. I'm doing my thing. I'm seeing a focus and I can't be like, oh, is she upset? Does she want to say something? I can't adjust all the time. So he's like, just say something, just come in and claim space and I was like well I have a narcissistic mother so for me claiming space was like a little oh I think you and I came from the same family (laughs) I had a narcissistic mother also (laughs) all right well so then you know you know (laughs) taking up space is like kind of an iffy very territory for the nervous system right yeah so part of what I have so loved about being in a long-term relationship is that there's space for those old patterns to come up and be healed. 
without disrupting the flow of love and appreciation. And uh, those learning edges, I think, keep emerging as each of us is occupying more and more of our essence. We say our work is all about revealing essence, who you really are at your core, and that in, in the space of someone else's love, of course, it's going to bubble up those places where you had to back away from your essence or not really express it fully. And so having the experience of having something that I feel vulnerable about be met with loving attention uh, has been, you know, such a gift, an unexpected gift of close relationship. And, and, and so to close up the interview, what would you say, what's the difference that made a difference for you too? Because especially, uh, you know, Katie, you just shared a little bit about background you come from, right? It's like there's so many different ways how where you could have become reactive or where you could have been more attacking. And so what was it for you both that like had you find their, your way back into compassion, yeah. mutual observation, stepping back? Tell me about that, because, you know, there's sometimes this part of like where I'm sovereign and I'm empowered, I'm in charge and I'm right. And, you know, how did you guys <laughs> navigate that, you know, <laughs> put interdependent? Well, the first. word that was coming to me, well, two words, commit and recommit. So we discovered the incredible power of committing, which is really I'm gathering myself and taking myself in a chosen direction. And so committing is an action that takes you from where you are to where you want to go. And recommitting is what you do when you fall off. You say, I commit to revealing rather than concealing. And then the first thing that comes up is, oh, I'm not going to tell you I'm angry. So recommitting, committing and recommitting is the most powerful practice I think that people can use. Yeah, because in the first year or so of our relationship, we would make these commitments and then we would break them in some way. And so we had to keep recommitting and say, mm -hmm. okay, are we still all about yeah. taking full responsibility yeah. here? Each of us taking a hundred percent, or do we want to perpetuate the victim game? <laughs> right. You know, and then we'd say, okay. <sighs> and yeah. you know, after you do that, um, the way I like to say it's a commitment is like um, an automatic pilot on mm -hmm. an aircraft that the automatic pilot drifts off and it then it recorrects and then it drifts off and then it recommits to the direction and it does that probably hundreds of times a minute or an hour maybe with computers and all that but that's the way it works it's always in the process of recommitment so if you analyze the actual time it's spent on track to the time it's spent off track it gets to the date destination by being wrong almost all the time right you know, because it's willing to recommit but it's it's spent 99 yeah. being wrong just because it was always going to come back and what is something internally that you have to overcome to to recommit you know i just really want to go into like the mm. uh, it sounds so easy because i can already see my women say well easier said than done oh yeah well, oh we're, yeah we're not saying it's easy at all but remember oh. We've been doing this for 40 some years. And, uh, you know, we've done it in front of 10 million people on Oprah and we've done it in, you know, all across Europe. So we're kind of practiced at it. But in the beginning, you know, yeah. it was like pulling teeth because both of us had our defensive stuff that we did. Right. And um, it's learning to choose the relationship over your defensiveness about 500 times, you know, yeah. and, and then you get it. 
And what I would suggest is use your body. So, uh, so if you step, so here's where I am now, this is how it feels, and then step into your commitment so that you're letting your body support you. When you do that, you're actually, it's much more effective. You're using your whole body brain rather than just your cognitive brain. And so if you use your body to play with stepping in, stepping, oh, I'm scared, stepping in, falling off, recommitting, uh, it also makes it more fun and that you don't have to do it perfectly. Mm, I love it. So for the women who are like, you know, they're hanging on every word you're saying, they're sitting on the edge of their seats. What is the best way to get in contact with you if they want to learn more about your work? And they say, I want to have that. I want to learn yes. that. Yes. Well, there's a couple of good ways to do that. Our basic website is hendrix.com, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com. And uh, we also have a, um, a nonprofit foundation called the Foundation for Conscious Living that has its own website. So those would be a couple of great places to find out about us and our work and where to sign up for things. We're doing uh, worldwide trainings um, in body-centered work as well as relationship work. So you get the big leap work and the relationship mm -hmm. work, and we do trainings on that. And um, we're we still about the playground. Too. Yes, we're about to launch something brand new that we're very excited about. It's called Gay and Katie's Playground. Oh, and good. it's a, a, a monthly community meeting where you get to hear about um, anything you want to hear about, about relationships. And we'll be on live every um, every month. And uh, we're going to address everything from commitment to kids, to chores, to sex and money, all the different things that go on in relationship. And you'll have a place to discuss things with other people. So check out uh, Gay and Katie's Playground. And you can find that on Hendrix.com because it's one, one of our seminars. So we have lots of resources for people and also lots of free resources, especially on the Foundation for Conscious Living. So check it out. Oh, beautiful. Well, Thank you so much for being here today. I mean, it's like so rare to get into the presence of a couple who's so happily in love, emotionally connected and caring for each other after 40 years. Like it's like literally like lovebirds sitting in front of me. You know what I mean? Like, so thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's uh, we're we're really happy. It's a very, you know, it's a very pleasant surprise. <laughs> Yep, I've had uh, almost 15,000 days of waking up feeling like the luckiest man alive because I get to be married to Katie. Oh, you guys are so sweet. Well, thank you so much for being here today and for blessing us with your presence and with your wisdom. And for the ladies, I'll talk to you in the next interview. Take care. Bye-bye.